Welcome to Let's Talk Sales. This is the podcast for anyone interested in growing sales. Today's episode of Let's Talk Sales is brought to you by our ebook on sales and marketing alignment, three critical areas where collaboration is essential. In it, you'll discover how you can better align sales and marketing to drive growth. Make sure to download a copy today. You can find it in the notes for today's show at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 330. This is Elizabeth Frederick, and I know today is going to be a really fun conversation. I'm speaking with the virtual CMO and business development leader at Growth Stage Marketing, where he helps founding teams structure their marketing and sales efforts to build high-impact plans and scale their growth. He has extensive experience running sales and marketing, and he has a focus on bringing products to market and aligning the sales and marketing functions to best uh, drive that effort. He is also the co-host of the Video Insiders podcast, and he's based in Phoenix, Arizona. Welcome to the show, Mark Donegan. Well, thank you, Elizabeth. It's great to be here. I am so glad that you could join me. Um, I just shared the high-level highlights of your bio, but I'd love it if you could introduce yourself to our listeners. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, first of all, I'll say that sales and marketing alignment, there is absolutely nothing that is more important in in my humble opinion. But uh, no, really, I'm, I'm so excited for this episode. And it leads right into my bio and how I got to where I am today as a marketing and really a go-to-market engineer, architect. Um, you know, I, I wear a couple different hats, but it's mm-hmm. really about the uh, alignment of how do you take a product or a service and drive that into the market in a way that it's going to be successful. And mm-hmm. that's what go-to-market's all about. So my career started, I, I, I was actually um, a computer science major and uh, realized after, I think it was my sophomore year, when I was spending more time uh, daydreaming in class about my, my music and, and you know, wanting to be a rock star, <laughs> that, that maybe I should think about, uh, you know, doing something different. So, so I dropped out, uh, worked a couple of years, and I went to music school. And uh, so that's why I have this kind of left brain, right brain thing going on. Uh, Went to music school and realized, um, wow, uh, very few people actually make it. And um, those that don't are usually like um, starving artists. Uh (laughs) I didn't want to be a starving artist. So... So I uh, had been working my way uh, through, you know, university, uh, you know, part-time job, uh, actually selling and uh, making really great money, like working, I don't know, 15 hours a week, typical, you know, kind of college job. But I was mm-hmm. pretty much making a typical full-time salary, you know, so so it's kind of like, wow, this sales thing, like, this is pretty good. So <laughs> I, you know, so I decided after, after, uh, after music school, like, Hey, I'm going to still, yeah, I can do music on the side nights, weekends, that kind of a thing. But as a career, this is really what I want to do. And I really enjoyed it. And I dug into the art of sales. I had all the Zig Ziglar books, which dates me a little bit because <laughs> <laughs> probably some of your listeners like Zig Ziglar. I don't, I don't think I know him. Uh, but he is one of the OGs in sales. And, uh, to this day, uh, you know, read and study Zig Ziglar, absolute fundamentals of selling. But along the way, as I began to grow my career and move from an individual contributor, you know, account executive, uh, you know, bag carrying, quota carrying salesperson, sales rep in, in different types of environments. And then I started managing a team and then I started managing bigger teams. And, and along the way, what I found was I was always um, gravitating towards towards the marketing side of supporting my sales efforts. And, mm-hmm. and what I mean by that is even as an individual contributor, uh, at one point I actually had created my own little newsletter and this <laughs> is way before email, by the way. So I'd created my own little newsletter that I was using to stay in touch with my customer base and that sort of thing. And it was just sort of this, I, I it's not that I read a book and, and, and I said, Oh, this is the, you know, this is a strategy. It just made sense to me. Like I need to find a way to keep in touch with these people. And so i create a newsletter, I guess, you know, I'll put a stamp on it, mail it out. You know, it's cheap, easy, uh, nearly free. So along the way, uh, I began to get more involved in actual marketing strategy and 
pretty soon I, I started putting together uh, this, this, this mix of how marketing and sales and revenue and go to market and how all of, of these tactics and the strategies and the thinking behind each where it collides and, and the incredible way it can impact a business. Mm. So in, uh, in, in, in 2005, uh, 2004, 2005, I got a, I was at the time I was leading a, um, uh, you know, sales for, uh, actually it was, um, North American sales. I had, I had 50, um, independent sales reps and also some full-time sales reps reporting to me. We were doing almost $35 million a year, really having a lot of fun. I was in the music business selling, you know, like studio equipment, you know, stage sound equipment, that, that, that kind of stuff. And I got a call from a recruiter and this recruiter said, Hey, ran across your profile. I have no idea how they found me because, well, I was on LinkedIn, but anyway, <laughs> LinkedIn <laughs> was around back then. But, um, but they said, there's a, there's a Silicon Valley company and they're looking for a role. This position's called an evangelist. And it, it was like, and I knew very well, you know, what the role at the time evangelist was. And it was kind of one part business development, one part corporate strategy, it was the face of the company and mm -hmm. the name, the title has changed. I don't think too many companies today have the evangelist title, but the role is of course still very, very much alive. And uh, we'll talk about how it's my strong belief that really the evangelist role has morphed into the CMO role. So mm -hmm. that's why, that's why I'm connecting the dots here to this. So long story short, I uh, joined the company and uh, it was uh, founded actually by started by the, one of the co-founders of NetApp, Network Appliance. Mm -hmm. And they were doing something really cool, really cutting edge in the consumer electronics space and uh, just had a just had a wonderful time. And then that led to another opportunity to join uh, one of the very first video streaming services called Voodoo, which eventually was was sold to uh, Walmart and, um, you know, went head to head for a while with Netflix and, and uh, you know, any of the streaming video type mm -hmm. services. But what happened along the way is, is that as I found my, my um, you know, career trajectory, if you think of it that way, now moving from where I was directly revenue, responsible for revenue, there was a number on my head, there was a number on my team's head, and, you know, it was just pure kind of CRO, head of sales, like, make it happen, you know, we're, we're going to rise or fall based on your success. And I began transitioning into this corporate strategy where all of a sudden I said, hey, it's great. You know, I, I love driving sales, but you know what? There's even a bigger perspective. And then I connected that into the marketing because pretty soon I was drawn into, well, Mark, what, what do we need to do? Our, you know, our marketing efforts aren't quite connecting. And so I was the one who was out there speaking to the market. I was talking to analysts. I was, I was, you know, working with our dealers or working with our distribution partners, um, you know, whatever the appropriate sales channel was for the environment that I was in. And uh, this then brought me into this uh, really incredible last 15 years where I have just been having a ball of being able to connect my desire to build, which is the revenue side, with my creativity, which is the marketing. And then when you bridge those together and you sprinkle in a whole lot of um, you know, strategy, uh, I, I sit in this place where, yes, I am more often than not working as a, as a, as a CMO, as a virtual CMO, but it is not just sort of, you know, campaign and branding and, and demand gen. And, you know, it typically is, looks a lot more like go to market you know, how to actually architect a business that's going to be successful. Definitely. Well, you have obviously the very traditional path to CMO, which is computer science and then music school. <laughs> that's right. Um, <laughs> but, piano, piano performance of all things. <laughs> oh, very nice. Very nice. But um, that, that really kind of comes through if you think about it, you know, computer science, so much of, of current marketing, it's all about data and analyzing yeah. different, um, you know, what's, what are people clicking on? Where are people going on the website? What are they searching for? All of that stuff. That's um, right. And then obviously if music is, is an art and marketing and sales are, are both an art. And so um, I, I can see how that right brain, left brain thing is coming together. But I love that story. And something I do hear from a lot of people is they had a sales job 
in college as their part-time job just to pay yeah. for, you know, food That's and right. books and, and rent or whatever. Yeah. And that turned into, you know, the seeds of their long-term career because you can discover just how much potential there is. And and there's a real passion for sales that that comes out. And, and I could really hear that in your voice. Um, yeah, I, 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 I love it. I love selling. And uh, something that I feel very, very strongly about is if a marketer has not had sales experience, find a way to go get it because mm. I really, really passionately believe. And I, and I think the the proof is just there when you, when you just look at other marketers who, who have enjoyed great success and, and there's exceptions of course. Right. But as the saying goes, that usually proves the rule. <laughs> um, almost always those marketers who, who we look up to, we revere either in our own organizations or maybe influencers in our, in our particular space, they come from a background of sales somewhere along the way they have learned how to connect with customers and where I see marketing that is just isn't working. And I don't mean, isn't working like, you know, like the design is terrible or mm-hmm. a lot of times the design is great. The, you go to the website, you're like, wow, this is really a great looking website. And yet you learn that the company is kind of failing. They're failing to actually produce revenue and make their numbers. And you go, well, what's happening on the surface? It looks like everything is really great in marketing. The problem is, is that if the marketers don't know how to connect to their customer and the best way to do that is through sales, then how can you expect to do marketing that's really going to work? Absolutely. And that kind of leads into what I want to spend most of our time talking about today. And I'm going to take a step back first and and think about the buyer, because obviously the whole point of the marketing and the sales is connecting with a buyer and um, helping the buyer discover that that you are the solution to what they need. Um, And the way buyers buy has changed. And, you know, I think we all, we've seen it in the B2C space. It's really obvious when malls are shutting down and Mm -hmm. you see the Amazon boxes just piling up, you know, in your apartment lobby or uh, on every porch in your neighborhood. And um, so we see that the, the B2C market has changed, but we're seeing the same thing in B2B in terms of the way buyers have changed. So what are you seeing in terms of how the buyer journey has become more complicated, maybe more fragmented? It's happening differently than it, than it used to be. Yeah, it's really interesting, Elizabeth. So there was a time, and it's hard to uh, imagine this, where, where the vendor actually held power in the marketplace. Uh There was a time 15 years ago, and as I mentioned, 15 years ago, when I first made this transition into this whole new exciting space and I was driving sales, we, if you were a, um, if you were a buyer, you had to go to a trade show. You had to, you, you actually, you needed that vendor to come on site and have a meeting with you. And, and depending on what the need was in your business, when that vendor called, you were happy to take their call. In fact, you were kind of waiting, like (laughs) we really need a meeting with, with so-and-so because we need to discuss, you know, this, this, this product or this need or whatever. And we, you know, we need to meet with them. That is no longer the case. And, and that is a massive shift in the market, which for for newer generation companies, in other words, companies I would say born certainly in the last 10 years, they never even experienced the world before this. So they've only grown up in this world. But for companies that might be 15 or 20 years old, or for those of us who are a little more seasoned, shall we say, <laughs> um, we some of us might still be carrying the, 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 the seeds or the thoughts or the actions of 20 years ago where we had the power. And the first thing that we have to wrap our arms around as a seller and as a marketer, and just as someone who's building a company is that we do not have power anymore in the market. The buyer has all of the power. And this is just, you know, generically, we can say, well, why is that? Well, it's because of the internet. 
but it's not because a quote unquote, you know, uh, oh, you can buy everything on the internet, e-commerce. In some sectors, yes, that it's just pure convenience. You go online, especially commodities. I, I think that's everybody's very comfortable with that concept. But even for advanced solutions and products and, and um, solutions that require long sales cycles, maybe integration, maybe there's a lot of expense behind it. What's happening is the buyers now are doing so much more research before they're even contacting the first vendor. And the implication here is, in fact, Gartner came out with just an amazing statistic. This was actually like three years ago, I believe, that they published this. And it was super interesting because when I read it, it reinforced what anecdotally I'd been mm -hmm. feeling. And what they said, what they found in all their surveying and, you know, Gartner does, I mean, that is their business is to, is to survey, is to talk to the market, understand buyer behavior, help vendors, um, uh, you know, build their businesses more effectively. And what they found was, I think the number is 57%, but I know it was greater than 50% of the buyers, uh, of buyers were, were more than 50, like percent, I think again, 57% of the way through the buying process before they even contacted the first vendor. And so you think about this, almost everyone's go to market approach. And, and we're talking now about more of like an enterprise sale. We're talking where there's probably consulting, there might be professional services involved. Uh -huh. Certainly you can understand for a lower cost SaaS product where, where this, this is true. Someone can just go do research, even go sign up on an account, start using it and then decide, do I want to pay for it? But if a buyer is greater than 50% of the way through their internal process of making selection of what solution product am I going to buy, then this whole notion that we're going to go do a discovery meeting and uh -huh. then we're going to bring in this and then we're going to do this, this idea of a pipeline or, or a sales process that's, oh, we have to go from step one, to step two, to step three, to step four. And, and you think I've been in environments where there were like 12 or 15 steps that before there was the close. Lows. That's just crazy because the buyer wants to buy the way they're going to buy, which means that they don't care about our steps. They don't care about our funnel. And if we're not adaptable and if we're not giving them the resources that they need at whatever point they they're in, in their decision process, their decision matrix, then we're going to lose. Or by the time we get a meeting with them, they're, they've already have their short list. They've already done all of their homework on our competitor. And yes, they're meeting with us, but pretty much the deal is already done with our competitor. And uh -huh. this is why so many enterprise sales deals are, are don't close or or are entering into this sort of, um, you know, this never ending sales cycle. A lot of times it's because, yeah, we did finally get a meeting with them. Hey, good for us. But you know what? We were too late to the party, you uh -huh. know, just, just plain and simple. And yes, it, the, the right people are saying all the right things. Yes. They're listening to us. Yes. They're being polite, but we have to be really brutally honest about what are the odds that we're going to close this. And that is exactly why so many enterprise sellers are getting ghosted. They have what appears to be an awesome set of meetings. Then all of a sudden they just go away. And then six weeks later, eight weeks, 10 weeks later, they get an email that says, sorry, you know, we chose someone else and everybody's scratching their head. What happened? We thought this was in the bag. No, it was never in the bag. Actually, you know, you just got lucky and got a meeting with them. And of course they wanted to learn, but they had already decided to go with someone else. Absolutely. And, um, you know, that resonated so hard with me when you were talking about all the steps in the sales mm. process. And when you think of the kinds of steps that so often were, or, you know, you see in early sales processes when you've got a long process, it's things like, um, you know, seeking information. Um, and basically, the expectation that we've put on sales and on marketing is a lot of your job at the beginning is education. That's right. Yep. And you need to diagnose and educate. And yep. it's like multiple rounds of figuring things out and educating. Yep. And people want to educate themselves and that's people right. feel that they've educated themselves. That's and sometimes right. that's true. And sometimes yeah. it's not. That's right. And, that's you know, right. there, yeah. there are some prospects who don't know what they don't know. Yeah. But in general, if you're coming in, like I am coming from on high to educate you of yeah. why I am amazing. Yeah. Uh, people don't like that. <laughs> 
Yeah. And, and, and the other, the, you know, the other thing I'd point out here and, and all of this uh, on the surface and not even the surface, but at just a guttural level, we should all say, well, yeah, because this is how I operate in my own life, you know, even for just making personal decisions or whatever. So why do we think that when we go into the office, we all of a sudden change our behavior, but peers and, you know, in, in our personal lives, it's our friends, right? So, Hey, I'm thinking of buying a new car, by the way, Elizabeth, you know, how do you like that new, you know, whatever you just bought, you know, Oh, I love it. Oh, Oh, I'm going to go look at one. You know, it's like that right there is, is the same as like, is like a peer validation. So, you know, colleague validation and so much of this is happening now, like on LinkedIn. And what's super interesting is there's this new concept, which I didn't, I didn't come up with this idea. I'm not even sure who the real originator of it is, but it's this, it's this idea of dark social. And what dark social is in the context of this conversation we're having is all of the business interactions that are happening outside of sort of your traditional channels. So this isn't somebody Googling what is the best CRM solution, (laughs) you know, Uh the dark social and to just stay with this example would be me talking to you who maybe we used to work together six years ago and we're different companies now, but I know that you just recently selected a new CRM or, or, you know, and I say, Hey, Elizabeth, you know, we're, we're thinking of moving off such and such. How do you guys like, you know, whatever, fill in the blank. And then you're telling me, well, we like this. Well, we don't really like this. Well, we wish I, I wish I knew this. And then I'm cataloging that information. And then I reach out to somebody else. And then I see a post on LinkedIn from somebody I'm connected to, but I don't really know. And they make some comment. And so I DM them. And then all of a sudden there's all of these data points and there's this information coming in to me as a buyer that is not. I, I didn't go out there and post in some form somewhere. Hey, I'm looking for recommendations on CRM, <laughs> you know, uh, thinking of switching. How do you guys like fill in the blank? And, and too many organizations are still operating. Like that's how the buyer is, 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 you know, behaving and they just aren't, it's organic. It's natural. It's free flowing. Some of it happens in a very planned manner. Some of it in an unplanned manner. But yet all of that data is coming into the buyer and then it's forming their opinion of which vendor or small number of vendors am I going to reach out to when I finally decide, okay, I think I have enough information. I think I understand what my needs are. I, you know, I've, I've done the research online. I think I've identified a, a handful of suppliers that can meet my needs. Let's go talk to them. Absolutely. I, I've seen those conversations starting in the comments on a post yes. on LinkedIn oh, or, or right on social, on. right? Somebody Absolutely. posts about something and, and somebody's like, oh, you got that. Let's let's jump on the phone and, and yep. talk about it. And yep. so that, that dark social sometimes is a phone call, sometimes is a coffee, yep. sometimes all these different interactions we have with people. And it's funny, too, because like you said, we're, we're still people selling to people. And it is amazing how many organizations set up sales processes that not a single person in their organization would like to buy that way. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. I love it. So, you know, I really enjoy uh, being able to come in and work with different companies and it gives me just a really broad perspective. And so I love it. But very often I'm coming into an environment and a lot of times I'm just simply reflecting back to the organization, to the founder, to the leadership team. Like, you know, what I'm about to tell you is going to, is going to on one hand seem so simplistic and yet I get it. We're, we're so ingrained into our, uh, you know, into our, our, our way of thinking around, you know, oh, we have to build our sales structure in this way, or we have to do this, but let me just ask you, you know, and this is what I'm reflecting back oftentimes to, to my clients, companies I work with. Let me ask you, is that, is, is that really how you buy? And of course, you know, the knee jerk reaction is, oh, of course, of course. And I go, well, <laughs> let me challenge you on that. And usually I can ask just one question. And then there's that pregnant pause. And then it's like, 
ah, maybe we better rethink that. It's like, yeah, exactly. You know, because you are, it's not like your buyers are somehow just a completely different breed of human, you know, and they're, <laughs> you know, than we are like, we are all human. Uh, my favorite saying is there is no B2B. There's mm. H to H. It's mm. human to human. Definitely. And, and that kind of leads into what I wanted to talk about here, which is, so you might have had that realization, right? Okay, oh my goodness, we're not getting customers until later. Um, they're not going to be talking to us when they're just kind of vaguely thinking about maybe doing something. We're not going to call them and they'll say, oh yeah, I'm just waiting to waiting for you to call me. Exactly. <laughs> um, but but we do still have marketing and sales teams that should be doing yeah. something, right? Yes. That, that still should be influencing and that want to do good work. So what are some of the challenges that you see in in having marketing and sales kind of working together to accomplish their goals? And, and what are some of the best practices that, that you found? Obviously, very big question, but we can take it kind yeah. of a piece at a time. And I'd really just love to get into some strategies that, that sure. drive that effective sales and marketing alignment for H2H communication. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Well, first of all, I'll start by saying that marketing and sales alignment starts at the top. You know, uh, and, and, and really at the very top at the CEO, the founder, whoever's leading the company, whatever the title is usually CEO, it starts there, but it immediately moves down to the, to the person who's overseeing revenue, overseeing sales and overseeing marketing. If those two people are not really joined at the hip, the marketing mm -hmm. head and the sales head, it is impossible to drive alignment through the org. It's impossible yeah. because it all starts at the top. And this is obvious on one hand, and yet it is still amazing to me how many sales and marketing leaders have, there's just, and, and I think some of it is just a residual, a carryover from the days where marketing and sales in a lot of organizations were really siloed. They were siloed intentionally. There was even strategies around it. Uh, uh, it was just a, it was a unhealthy thing. It was, it was not good then. And it's really not good now. Um, but if those, if those two leaders, the head of marketing, the head of sales, uh, just have this kind of feeling of like, Hey, I'm doing my thing. You stay over there. You, you know, you close deals. That's your job. Let me, you know, I know marketing and then vice versa. Uh, that is going to be bad. And so the first thing is, is that there has to be alignment at the top. Now, when we begin to move down into the org, mm -hmm. let's, let's, I've already touched on, so I'll touch really briefly on what I've already said about the need for marketers to understand sales. So, um, but let me touch on this again and give a couple of really practical, uh, you know, things that can be done for even just an individual contributor, or marketing manager who's working on a middle-sized team. Maybe you've got 10, 10, 12, 15 people on your marketing team. Uh, what you can do is, is begin to, in almost any environment, you can say, Hey, I would like to sit in on a few sales calls. Hmm. That's a, you know, that's a, that's a super, super quick way um, to begin to get acclimated, begin to hear the customer voice, begin to just understand what does the customer care about? What are our customers saying? What are they, how are they responding? And to hear a lot of times as a marketer, just hearing the words from the customer will give great revelation about what needs to be done, what needs to be improved, what's working and what's not working in the marketing program. So, and, and if there's alignment at the, at the top, meaning the sales and the marketing leader actually like each other and are working together and want to work together and are, are, are really pulling in the same direction for mutual success of the company, then uh, this is super easy to pull off. Obviously, you can't sit in on every meeting and there's some meetings that would be easier or more appropriate than others. So, of course, it, it's contextual and, and, and all, but it's always possible. I've never been in an environment where it, it just would not be possible for a marketing person to really sit in and get full exposure to the sales process. So that's the first thing on the marketing side. Now, on the sales side. It's really, really interesting. 
So it's always been the case that um, sell, especially account executives, were were often hired or or could negotiate a better deal based on their quote unquote Rolodex, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and this was, hey, it's great, we found this person. They've got a killer Rolodex in the fill in the blank sector. You know, they know everybody in aerospace. Oh, they know everybody in this other, and 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 that would, and that was valuable because generally, what that Rolodex meant was that you certainly had the names and the titles, and you had the phone numbers, and especially back, you know, 15, 20 years ago, people weren't moving around quite as much as they are now. So a lot of times, you know, those were deeply ingrained uh, relationships and, you know, that that seller had developed over many, many, many years. And so it did mean something when you could pick up the phone and say, Hey, Hey, Paul, you know, I'm at this new company. I want to tell you about it. And Paul would go, sure, Mark, you know, let's, you know, Hey, let's, let's have dinner tomorrow night or whatever, you know, whatever the, 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 the appropriate connection point was. Now that's much less the case where there's a Rolodex because first of all, Paul has probably switched jobs six times since Uh I last sold to him six years ago. (laughs) So maybe not that extreme, but anyway, um, uh, so first of all, you have that, that issue to deal with is like, well, guess what? You know, Paul may even be in a completely different space now or in a different industry or whatever. And so now that, that quote unquote Rolodex is less valuable. But getting back to the way that buyers are actually buying and researching in dark social, what they are doing is all of this LinkedIn, both both passively and proactively researching and, and learning and getting educated themselves. So if I, as a seller, adopts a mindset of like, you know, what would happen if I sort of created my own little little marketing thing. And, and I'm not talking about where I'm now creating parallel marketing to my company's org, because there's a <laughs> lot of reasons why that's a bad idea. And if you're in a really small company, okay, maybe get away with it. Maybe it's even encouraged. Maybe you should do it. If you don't have any marketing, well, go do something yourself. But for most of, of the audience, you, you, you probably have well-established, you have marketing teams and there's, and there's very clear you know, guidelines and even mm-hmm. rules like, hey, you can't do this. But you know what? There is absolutely nothing that would prohibit you from, from building an a image and a profile online as someone who really is an expert in your sector. Mm-hmm. So for me... I work, uh, I, I work in a couple different spaces, but primarily my experience is in the area of video streaming technology. And so even as a marketer, one of the things, if in fact, if you go look at my LinkedIn profile and you look at the posts and you look at, you know, what I'm talking about, um, I have definitely shifted over the last couple of years to much more marketing and business type, type posts. So you're going to see a lot of that. But uh, you also are going to see a lot of what are like, wow, is Mark a, you know, is he like a video engineer? (laughs) Because there's some posts on there that are kind of geeky and kind of technical and might be kind of like, wow, this is kind of, I wouldn't expect this from someone who's like, you know, a marketer. Well, what that has done over the years for me is it's branded me as someone who really understands. No one's confused. They don't think I'm an engineer. They know I'm not an engineer. But when I post something, I can, I can get the uh, response and I'm credible to a highly technical buyer so that when I want to reach out to them to make a connection and you know, either request a meeting or maybe make an introduction or whatever that is, they actually say, wow, Mark is somebody who, who I think could add value to me and therefore they respond. And, and, and all I've done really is just made it my business to just understand about the technologies that I'm, that I'm marketing, that I'm selling, that I'm working with, to ask questions, to be inquisitive, to it's, I'm not any smarter than the next person. It's just that I've said, you know what, 
I'm not going to say, Hey, I'm a marketer. And so I just need to understand at the super high level, superficial 50 word framework, like how to describe our product. No, I, if I understand our product, if I understand how the technology works, I'm going to do a better job of creating that 50 word marketing description just to use that example, but I'm also going to be able to enter into some conversation where the other person's going to say, wow, you actually understand me. You actually understand our environment. You understand what we need. And now they're going to lean in when I say, Hey, I'd love to make this introduction to so-and-so company. Hey, I noticed you guys just made this announcement. You know, there's a solution out there. Maybe you don't know about if you're interested, I'd love to make an introduction. Hey, I'd love to talk to you about fill in the blank. And I have incredibly high success. Now I'm going to ask a rhetorical question. Do you think that that gives me an edge over somebody <laughs> who basically has 15 years of marketing experience in an MBA? Mm -hmm. <laughs> in other words, the answer is it absolutely does, you know? And, 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 and so now I just say, I, I gave it from the, from my current perspective as a marketer, but we started out talking about sales. So this is the new quote unquote Rolodex is, is, and by the way, uh, 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 on this path, you're, you're making all these connections. Now you're starting to build an audience. So the new Rolodex is an audience. It's not just, Oh yeah, I know, you know, Bob from uh, 33 years ago when, you know, I mean, <laughs> and I'm not, you know, look, I, I, I want to be careful because I'm, I'm not downplaying, you know, by any means, the fact that there is value in, in and in certain industries, there's even, you know, just as much value as there was say before. However, I think if we're all honest with ourselves and we look at the way the market and the buyers have changed and buyer behavior and all that, that it's definitely not what it used to be. And so the new uh, currency, if you will, is not just that I've got, you know, 1500 people or 15,000 people in my contact database, but the new currency is, Hey, I have this audience. And when I post something that's relevant to my industry, and I post a couple, you know, witty thoughts about it, you know, a couple sentences or whatever on LinkedIn, I get a thousand to 2000 views of every post. Mm -hmm. Now you show that to a potential employer or you show that to your current employer. And, and I don't know too many that would say, oh yeah, stop doing that. <laughs> They're going to be like, can you teach me how to do that? Can you teach mm -hmm. the rest of the team come work for us? Because I wish my team would be doing that. And, and progressive sales leaders get that. And, and now that's even those who really get it are, are interviewing and screening and trying to figure out. And oftentimes they're discovering even sales candidates because they're simply just looking at, you know, who are the sellers who are out there making astute observations, who are posting smart comments, who are, who are showing that they understand um, the market, understand the industry, understand trends. And all that means that they're adding value. If they're adding value, the customer's going to be much more willing to listen to them. If they're willing to listen, it's a heck of a lot easier to close. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Definitely. Pretty obvious I, stuff, but. <laughs> no, it well, And it's funny too, because some stuff just seems so obvious once you hear it, but then you recognize you're not doing it. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, oh, oh, I'll start actually with the last thing that you were talking about, and then we'll go back. But when it comes to salespeople, something that I often see is that they feel like they've been told you need to develop a personal brand, and they have no idea what that means. Mm. And they think like, am I supposed to have like a way that I dress? Am I supposed yeah. to be, you know, like <laughs> yeah. famous? Yeah. And the idea is not to be famous. Um, no. There's actually, we'll include a link um, in the show notes, I talked to somebody about being micro famous mm. and that's really what we're talking about here. That's right. Um, it's, it's, you need to be known within the people who should know you that's right. <laughs> and it, you don't have to start a podcast, although maybe that is the right thing to do. You don't have to do a lot of things, but you need to be in the conversation. And that's right. So, you know, connecting to the people who are who are talking about it, leaving comments if people have questions, answering the questions, yeah. asking some yeah. of your own questions. Yeah. And ideally and typically top performers are already doing a lot of these kinds of behaviors to That's learn right. and to grow. They're just not necessarily connecting it to I I need to be consistent in this yeah. and I need to leverage this for for business development. A lot of times you'll see top performers 
who are trying to just stay current and trying to know what's going on and be in that conversation and don't necessarily recognize the the power that that gives them to you know connect with people to um, engage people to have people be willing to give them time on their calendars because of the the presence that they've provided and it's not you know your sparkling personality or or you know your your looks or anything like that it's literally the the ability that you've demonstrated to add value and to provide useful information um people people recognize that 100 percent I, I I won't add any more to it because it would take away what you just said. Uh, you you are you are so right. I, I will I will reflect back on this whole the the personal brand because you're right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so uh, much in sales training, especially over the last ten years, twelve years, and, and it's really been largely centered around social media has been uh, teaching sellers, build a personal brand, personal mm-hmm. brand. That's how you're going to build your career. That's how you're going to build your, you know, your, your revenue. That's how you're all of that. The The, the problem is I, I think the intent is I'm to- totally agree with what I'm talking about is building a personal brand, but you'll notice that what I had just previously described, I said absolutely nothing about, um, about uh, talking about me. Mm-hmm. about, about, uh, posting content that's about me and, and, and it's all about me, me, me. And like you said, you know, how I dress and am I cool? And am I this, and, you know, I'm going to be the seller, uh, whatever, you know, the, there's all the, the angles, you know, find your unique angle. Nobody cares about your unique angle. <laughs> Nobody cares if you're the Harley riding, you know, sales, <laughs> whatever. And, you know, I mean, really, and, and, and this whole notion of, and this is, I know going to rankle, um, you know, some traditionalists, but you know, this whole notion of, of, of um, you know, well, but we're going to connect with the buyer and, oh, they love to fish. So I'm going to, Buyers today, though we are too busy. They really don't. Okay, that's great. Oh, you fish too. Okay, cool. Now, what can your product do for me? <laughs> you know that I already that have my is, fishing buddies. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. So, so what we're talking about though is, and and you said it too. It's about establishing yourself as credible, and it's not having to be something you're not. Mm-hmm. So I. I, I sometimes joke that I, I, I get myself in trouble sometimes in selling situations because I, I am fairly technical. I've made it my business to really understand our technology. So I'll sometimes get into situations where people will start. It's like when I'm trying to speak Mandarin, um, my, my wife is from Taiwan and, and the reason why I'm super, super shy to speak Mandarin is sometimes people are so excited and they start talking to me and I'm like, I I have no idea what you're saying. (laughs) So so I'm just like, I'm just like English only. And no, I don't really speak Mandarin, but so, you know, I'll get in, I'll start talking and, and they'll, and they'll, and they'll start deep diving into the technology or something. And it's like, ah, wait, I'm really not an engineer. I do understand a lot about it, but, um, but that credibility is what we need to build and establish because Mm -hmm. we, all of our organizations, we have, uh, technical support engineers. We have field application engineers. We have system engineers. We have all those people around us as sellers and as marketers. You know, we have product marketing managers and we have product managers who can come in and, you know, really go deep when that, when that need arises. So, but if you can be seen as credible, you are going to go so much further than the next salesperson who's a super nice person probably mm-hmm. great personality, can tell wonderful stories, you know, can select an awesome bottle of wine at dinner. <laughs> but again, it, it comes back to the, to the fishing thing. Like at the end of the day, if I'm going to go to a nice dinner, most buyers want to go to a nice dinner with their families or their friends or, you know, they, 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 it's, it's changed a lot. Absolutely. A uh, small anecdote, but um, our CEO actually, all the way back, and this is this is more than I think twenty years ago at this point. Um, his special technique that he would use is he had his um, you know his expense budget for dinners and other things, and he would just give that to the client and say you know take your wife or whoever you want to take. Right. You don't have to take that, me. Like you don't want to have dinner with me. Yeah. Even twenty years ago, people didn't necessarily want to yeah, have dinner with exactly, you. Exactly, exactly. And then in very and and look, let's be honest. We all know that there were plenty of 
uh, and I've used air quotes, important buyers mm-hmm. who got a lot of nice dinners out of us and how much revenue do we get back from them? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so. so yeah. And it's, you know, like you were saying, you know, this isn't like, this is the cool guy who wears a leather jacket and who does all these other things. It's just, you're, you're credible. You have knowledge in an area. And that also makes it much easier for you to build a career in an area. You know, you see some salespeople who try to really hop around Mm -hmm. to lots of different industries. And if you can do that, more power to you. I mean, that's that's hard. But if you can start to develop um, some subject matter expertise, whether it's very, very specific or whether it's a little bit more general, like um, maybe you sell medical products and you really know hospitals and medical products and you can hop from a different medical product to a different medical product, but you're you have an expertise in the audience. That's right. And and so figuring out what, what kind of area you can have that expertise in. Um, And I want to, we can get practical. Sorry for the inner, you know, for the interruption (laughs) there, but I think this is a perfect point because I can imagine that there's sellers listening right now. And they're kind of like, look, look, I totally get it. I've heard this before. I've even thought about it, but, but like, but still, what do I do? Like, like, okay, fine. So let's use the medical device industry, which you just said as a great example. So I, I too am a huge fan of, of niching down and, and staying as much as possible within an an industry, you know, no Mm -hmm. matter how small it is, because here's the thing. I think we've all, there was a time where, where you know, we all felt like, oh, I've got to get to the next bigger industry. I've got it to break out, to make more money, to grow my career, whatever I've got to. So if we were in kind of niche industries or kind of burgeoning industries, you know, there's this general feeling, but I'll tell you, you can do just as well. In fact, I would argue you can do better in a lot of cases in these niche industries that sometimes are kind of a little lost and forgotten. Nobody knows about them. They're often not too sexy, you know, in terms of they don't get a lot of press and everything. But yet, if you are the, um, the, the, the authority, the thought leader, you are the salesperson who has that particular sector, that niche wired, you will a never be looking for a job <laughs> and, and, and B you will have the absolute pick of who you want to work for, what products you want to represent, you know, your compensation, everything will go up. So here's how you do it. Let's just use medical device as a, you know, as, as a case study. So let's say you're selling in the medical device industry and you're like, well, I'm not a doctor and I'm, and yes, I, you know, I've, I've gained knowledge, but like, there's like, I can't even begin to be seen as quote unquote, an authority. You don't need to be go get, go start a podcast and interview. Let's just, I'm just for sake of discussion. Let's say that you're selling a product for cardiologists, Mm -hmm. just, just to get even more practical, you know, or I don't know, um, ophthalmologist, you know, so you're, you know, I, uh, you know, there's a lot of medical devices, you know, around, around the eye, but anyway, it doesn't matter. Let's go back to cardiologists create a podcast and interview cardiologists that are, that are forward leaning in technology and call it the, the, um, techno, the cardiologist in tech podcast or the technology in cardiology podcast. I'm totally making this up on the fly. And, (laughs) and, and, and you interview these cardiologists and, and you go find, and yes, you have to do a little legwork. You've got to go find some, you got to, you know, find some that are forward leaning that, you know, are interested in really, um, you know, advancing technology in their, in their practice, et cetera. But I'll tell you, those people are out there. And what's amazing is it, we feel like, oh, but they would never talk. Like, I'm like, nobody, like, why would they want to talk to me? People love to talk about themselves. And they love to talk about things they care about. And you will be absolutely shocked at how just a cold LinkedIn message to one of these individuals who may be sort of quote unquote famous or not, but you know, we feel like, well, they would never agree. And they'll be like, sure, I'd love to come on your podcast. When do you want to do it? And then here's what it does. Now you've got content that you're beginning to put out. Now think about it. You have a connection with this very key person. Now, how valuable would that be 
to begin to say, hey, do you know other cardiologists that are also thinking in the same, oh yeah, I'm working with this doctor and this doctor and this, oh, and you have to talk to this person over here, talk to this person. Well, do you think any of those relationships one day could be, um, could be useful in a selling situation? Do you think when any of those doctors that now you built relation in a totally different context have a need or they, or they're thinking about a solution and they know that you can provide it, who are they going to call first? Now, this is the reason why sellers don't do this also is because this is a medium to a long game. Mm-hmm. And if you're only thinking about this quarter, well, then guess what? Don't do this strategy. But if you're thinking about a 20 year run, about a career that won't be at your, probably at your current company, but might be at four or five companies over 20 years. But you're thinking about building up this audience. Remember, your job is to build up the audience. It's not the Rolodex. You will get to the point where companies will be fighting to hire you. And, and, and it's only going to be a matter of, of, of you know how much over market value they're willing to pay you. Not because you're demanding it, but because that's what, because that's what you bring. And this is how you build the new sales career in a B2B, you know, enterprise selling space. And it's all about niching down. And what I love about that, I mean, obviously you can, as an individual contributor, just take this on almost outside of work. And, and that's something yep. that you're bringing, you know, that's if you right. move jobs, you have it. But this is also an area where you can get significant sales and marketing alignment if you really want to hone yes. in at, at the firm that you're at to say, you know what, um, let's work with marketing and let's figure out what does the, what do people want to hear from us, right? They don't want to be educated. They, they want to hear these insights. They want to get this information about, you know, things that we've seen that don't work or things that we've seen um, where there are areas for improvement and whether it's something you're doing completely on your own or whether it's that valuable information you're getting to marketing. I think of so many times I've heard from salespeople, marketing is sending these newsletters and they're terrible. Marketing is producing this content and it's awful. You know, I don't like it. And I think there's sometimes they, there's probably some accuracy in there's there. Sometimes, sometimes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, sometimes you've got marketing people who've never met a client. That's, that's not a right. good thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But a lot of times also salespeople don't necessarily know. They know what they would like, but yeah. they're not really yeah. in the mindset of, yeah. of the client. And so the more you have this alignment, the more you're working together to to figure out what it is that clients do actually want from you. That's right. You can figure out what if it, marketing maybe is going to take the lead on yeah. and what if it, you as a salesperson can take so, or as a sales leader. So so let me, so I love that thought. Uh, let, let me also make another interesting provocative statement. Um. COVID has changed everything as we all know. So, uh, and you know, it's changed the way we work. It's, you know, just, just everything across the board has been changed. I, I still think my, my sense is, and just from talking to even my friends and, and, and just, you know, reading comments online on LinkedIn specifically, I still think that there's a percentage of the, of the selling uh, of sellers who believe that we're going to, in air quotes, return to normal. Mm. Uh, and, and specifically the context for what I'm about to say is, is return to normal as in, I, I, I have a travel budget, I have a patch, I get in my car, I get on an airplane and I go meet people face to face in an office somewhere. Now, in some environments, that is going to be true. It's even true now. It, you know, maybe, you know, maybe there's a little bit of a pause uh, right in the thick of the pandemic. But, you know, so I'm not saying that, no, we're never going to have in-person or face-to-face sales interactions. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that we better be prepared for a world where it's either not possible or it's not desirable or where our buyers just simply say, sure, I can meet you. I mean, yeah, we're all back in the office, but why? Mm-hmm. I've been doing Zoom for two years, work perfectly fine. Why? I, I don't have time for you. Now, if we're waiting for this return to normal, uh, in some environments, it's super dangerous because it's not coming back. 
And this strategy that we're talking about right now is the way to preempt that because guess what? Everybody is going to stay online, stay on networks. This whole idea of the dark social, this whole idea of, you know, even these, these um, sometimes sort of passive or, or proactive LinkedIn uh, interactions that happen. And so I, I also am encouraging uh, enterprise sellers, enterprise sales teams, you know, business leaders to just not be so quick to be hedging on the fact that we're going to quote unquote return to normal, because I really don't see that as being the case, at least, uh, at least across the board. Absolutely. I mean, if you wanted to meet with me, I'm like in my apartment <laughs> because yeah, I'm exactly. not going back to the office. Yeah. Yeah. That's and, and, and that's, and that's exactly, that's exactly the point. And, and too often when I bring this up, you know, I usually get the, well, yeah, yeah. But you know, uh, once everybody's, you know, some people kind of default to the, like the, the safety, like, yeah, but once, once everybody feels comfortable, it, everybody's going to return to normal. Well, we're all social people. People want to, of course we're social people, but we want to get, we we're getting that from our, we don't go to work to get that social stimulation, you know? Um, and for many of us, the productivity and for a lot of these orgs, the productivity has skyrocketed through the work from home. And I think we just have to take a really sobering view at this. And, and I just encourage, again, I just lay the thought out there for consideration. Um, and, and with the caveat that there are, there's many industries that yes, uh, you know, in-person meetings and, and all that are, are already have resumed. I get that. Um, but there are some sectors, uh, you know, if you're selling into technology, if you're selling to, uh, you know, telcos, if you're selling into, uh, there's just so many different, uh, you know, environments you're, and if your process relies on a face-to-face meeting and that's a heavy, like that has to happen in order to push a deal forward. Um, it's, it's risky. It's really definitely. risky. Definitely. Um, well, I feel like we could just keep talking forever because this is this is such an important and interesting conversation. You can see should... I'm passionate about it. <laughs> oh, me too. Me too. It's uh, it's it's just something that uh, it, we're seeing so many changes. And like you like you've mentioned a few times, you know, you can't just bury your head in the sand and hope that that you don't have to deal with this. It's it's coming for you whether you want it to or not. So um one question I always like to ask our guests is, are there any resources that you would recommend for our listeners that could be books, podcasts, um, anything that, that you would recommend that they check out? Yeah. So I am actually going to recommend two uh, really marketing books, but I, you know, I believe, and I, I think it's very clear through this conversation that uh, th- there's a patchwork of marketing and sales, mm-hmm. uh, and, and it's not going to be unwound. <laughs> uh, it, it's only going to be further kind of woven together. And I don't mean that, um, the disciplines are just kind of merging because there is a very, very clear sales discipline and there's a very, very clear marketing mm-hmm. discipline, but it's critical for, uh, sellers, and since your audience is primary, primarily sellers, I believe to really understand uh, the thinking and the strategies that go into modern marketing. So there's a mm-hmm. book called Play Bigger. Uh, came out in 2016. Just an awesome book. Uh, this is a must read. I know startup founders, CEOs, sales leaders, marketing leaders, so many people. I, it's it's a bestseller. I don't even know where it's at uh, on the on the list, but they've sold a lot of copies of this. Play bigger, and it's about this concept called category design. Uh, I, I, I won't go any further on my website. I actually have a presentation, uh, for startup founders on category design. So if you just go to growthstage.marketing, that's growthstage.marketing, uh, at the very top, there's a link that says category design, click on that. It just opens, it's ungated, you know, you can go right to the presentation. So play bigger is one book. The other book is a classic, uh, but I think super, super helpful to think about messaging and it's called positioning the battle for your mind. Mm. 
And right now, where we are, as we just talked about for this last hour, with buyers getting input from so many different places and able to go out and, and do their own research, get information from colleagues, from peers, from analysts, from all these different um, places that they can learn about solutions and learn about our products, the competitors' products. So much of what we say, certainly in marketing, but even in sales, is about positioning. And this book, uh, it's, it's like 20 years old. It is an absolute essential read. Uh, a lot of the examples are from like even the 80s. So what, what will be super striking is that you'll look at campaigns and you'll look at examples that they give from brands and from products you're like, I remember that when I was a kid, you know, like, <laughs> and yet, and yet, uh, when you read it and you understand the psychology and what was behind, you know, the ad and what was behind the messaging in the brand and what drove these massive campaigns that, that generated in some cases, billions and billions of corporate uh, of dollars of revenue or corporate value. Um, this book is essential. So it's positioning the battle for your mind. It's by Al Reese and Jack Trout are the two authors. Wonderful. That that sounds like a great one. All right. I, you mentioned your website, but um, I would love just to give you another chance. If listeners want to learn more about you, where can they find you? Yeah, go to growthstage.marketing. And uh, I've got, uh, I think, some uh, helpful resources up there that uh, are all free, easy to access. And you can learn about what I do and also just get some education. Definitely. Well, thank you so, so much for speaking with me today, Mark. I really appreciated our conversation. Well, thank you, Elizabeth. It was great being on your show. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning into the show today. You can find the notes and resources for everything that Mark and I have been talking about today at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 330. As a reminder, if you subscribe to the show, you get every new episode as soon as it goes up. You can subscribe for free wherever it is that you're listening right now. We will be taking next week off for Thanksgiving, but we will be back in December with more great guests. I hope all of our listeners have a wonderful holiday um, with safety and delicious food and family. If you enjoyed the show today, please recommend this to a friend. That's the best way to help more people discover it. We love feedback. You can leave us ratings and reviews in your podcast platform. Or email us if you've got feedback, questions, or suggested guests. You can email podcast at criteriaforsuccess.com. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at CFS Playbook and the blog at criteriaforsuccess.com slash insights. Let's Talk Sales is a production of Criteria for Success. Happy selling!